0: Welcome back to New Books in Chinese Studies. My name is Sarah Bramal Ramos, and I am one of the hosts on the channel. And I'm here today with Kaijun Chen to talk about his new book, Porcelain for the Emperor, Manufacture and Technology in Qing, China. Welcome to New Books, Kaijun, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today.
1: Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much for the invitation.
0: Of course. So why don't we start at the beginning with your beginning? How did you come to work on Qing China?
1: Um, I was trained as a a literary specialist and linguist back uh, at Fudan University uh, in Shanghai, and uh, I had abroad training in humanities disciplines and uh, went on to study in France. I um, was fascinated with the early modern period in general, you know, enlightenment, industrialization. And I was triggered by um, the Jesuits, missionaries' work in China. I, I was thinking, you know, so many interesting things are going on in Europe at between 16th to 18th century. What was going on in China? And the one uh, window through which I looked at it is Jesuits, missionaries' uh, uh, work description of china and this is how uh, i um, gradually uh, get very interested in um, china and the qing dynasty per se um, the the serious engagement started only in graduate school uh, so i was debating whether to work on literary uh, projects or historical ones or them but i always know that i want to uh include uh material culture and uh, you know decorative art or painting uh, in my in my work so i end up uh, uh working on a project maybe we can categorize it as cultural history and uh, and uh, i wanted to work on some period where um the 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 the, the cultural agents were not entirely literati scholar official, uh, meaning that there are some other people who played a very important role uh, in shaping the landscape of culture and technology. And then I end up uh, focusing on Qing and also this, uh, the, 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 the dynasty where uh, we are exposed to the new language, the Manchu and the uh, um i'm very um always very curious about uh the perspectives that a new language can open and so um i pick up uh, uh Qing to to focus on and uh, which have which has a very um special uh, historical period of time in terms of uh, uh the institutional framework and uh, uh, the epistemology and, uh and uh, so on and so forth and and, and also it's a critical moment um, of transition from the pre-modern to the modern period and uh, this is how 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 I came into uh yeah this field
0: great and I think there's m- so much of what you just outlined is actually you know in the book itself um so thank you for laying that out right you know the material culture cultural history other people being involved in shaping culture and technology, Manchu, new language. Um, I think these are all things we're going to come back to as we dive up deeper into your book. So your book Porcelain for the Emperor looks at how the emperor got his porcelain. Um, it focuses on the production of ceramic ware at the Imperial Porcelain Manufactory. And it does this by really looking specifically at one man, one individual who we'll talk more about over the course of our conversation, um, who was a technocrat in the porcelain industry. So your book really looks at fiscal management, technical experimentation in the field of porcelain, how the imperial state involved itself in technology, um, how technocrats worked to manage the imperial state. And it really is a beautiful combination of the study of material culture and literature with art history and technology. Um, but I really want to begin by talking about the man that your book focuses on, because he is so central. So, Kaijun, could you introduce him to listeners? Who is the, you know, the central figure, the hero of your book, and what do we need to know about him?
1: Yes. Uh, so the, the the like the guide, uh, and and like in the book uh, uh, is Tang Ying. Uh, who lived in uh, the, the the period spanning between late 17th century to mid uh, 18th century. And uh, in one word, his most important work uh, was the supervisor of the imperial porcelain manufactory uh, in the second quarter of the uh, 18th century. If we go to any major museums british museum uh, Matt, and the louvre and uh, we encounter big chinese porcelains and then there is a high chance that you know those large uh, polychrome uh, spectacular porcelain was manufactured under the supervision of this man and uh, i think this is a, a interesting uh, person who combines various kinds of skills a polymath and uh, I've been always fascinated with polymaths. Um, you're connected to my uh, interest uh, uh, in, in pre-modern polymaths, uh, early modern polymaths in the world, especially in Europe. Leibniz, Spinoza, and all these people, they are Renaissance men. But when we call them polymaths, we, 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 we take an ethic perspective. It, the kind of skill sets that they combine in their work might be entirely uh, natural and intuitive uh, for them within their uh, in, in institutional framework, right? So, and uh, this is um, also how I approach uh, Tang Ying, the supervisor of ceramic factories. He is also a poet and uh, a major playwright, and actually. Um, 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 transforming the regional uh, uh, theater into a kind of uh, court and uh, a uh, literati-related genre. And uh, also involved in other kinds of administrative work. So I decided to uh, use him as a guide and to connect various um, aspects um, of the statecraft, uh, statecraft of the Qing uh, Empire, uh, from the the special Manchu Institute to the fiscal management and the the the, the um, efficient and uh, design system that connects the regional and uh, the the court and. Uh, uh, the mobilization of uh, local resources and skills. And uh, I, it turns out that, um, yeah, this person is a, a very useful uh, guide, but I didn't intend to write a biography. <laughs> that, that's it. very often, you know, um, um, uh, the early, uh, yeah, uh, uh, com- uh, interlocutors asked, are you trying to write a biography? And uh in a sense, of course, it is focusing on one person, but uh, we can use a uh, 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 one, uh, yeah, figure to talk about various aspects and uh, of history. I'm very inspired by, you know, uh, Wittgenstein's Vienna and uh, Pamela Smith's work on the Johann Bache, and uh, and then Tony Grafton's work on Alberti. So they all use a kind of figure at the center but talk about various disciplines of uh, knowledge production and uh, uh, artistic uh, Mm. creation yeah
0: and he's certainly, a, you know, a great guide in that sense, because he is involved with so much, even though this is definitely, and it did not read as a biography, <laughs> it definitely isn't, um, that's not at all what I think you're doing here, and that doesn't read like that in the slightest. Um, but I'm curious as to how you came across Tang Ying, because, you know, he is, as you say, involved in so much. Did you first encounter him through his plays or his poetry, or did you, you know, go to a, you know, go to a museum, look at the porcelain, and start to realize. Wait a minute, <laughs> I've seen that name before. How did how did you come across him in your in your research?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you for the question. It's a great question because actually, this person, although he played a very important role in manufacturing porcelain, he is a relatively obscure not like those major uh, 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 writers and authors that you will encounter in the history of literature, history of art, or social history. And uh, um, I encountered him first, actually, I think in Jonathan Spence's book, without remembering that. (laughs) (laughs) After I, you know, finished my dissertation (laughs) and look back and, oh, Joseph Benson mentioned that and uh, in his uh, study of Cao Ying, the bond servant, uh, the commissioner of textile uh, manufacturer. I think, you know, he mentioned that the bond servant and uh, the... Uh, the commissioner of jade production, the Gao, fam- Gao family, and then referred to Tang Ying. And um, again, uh, in another uh, uh, very uh, foundational work on the imperial household department, uh, wrote by uh, Tobert And uh, I think he also uh, mentioned Tang Ying bypassing because ceramic manufacture is a very important kind of uh, field. um, But uh, who was the major supervisor, right? And then that's that's Tang Ying. And uh, yeah, that's how I first noticed this person. And I've always been interested in decorative art and material culture. So you know, porcelain, bronze, these are the options. So I look at porcelain. Yeah, they cannot avoid uh, the 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 chief supervisor designer. And that, but what made me decide to work on this is I discovered that he wrote 17 plays who is also a major uh, literary figure and uh, and uh, I thought about other you know literary figures who has their hands on material culture but they none of them were as uh, deeply involved in uh, manufacture and, uh, and uh, uh, in making uh, decorative art as Tao Ying does.
0: Mm-hmm. And it certainly seems that, you know, for someone who's looking for a project and, you know, a project that will turn into a book, it definitely seems like he left a, I don't want to say unusually large but a you know considerable volume of 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 you know works that he wrote of plays of poetry of archival you know journals all of these things that just made for such a rich study of him. Um, so it definitely seems like a great choice. <laughs> um, looking at the book that came out um, from from that right okay. um, sorry yes no 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 go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think his corpus is appropriate like wise and he has his individual anthology there are there are several other imperial uh, supervisors but they didn't uh, uh leave didn't leave uh an, a corpus like he does but also it's not it's not too much and uh, so yeah
0: perfectly sized uh, we've been talking about you know all the different things that um Tangying was um, and you mention in your book that he's also, you know, an example of a technocrat. Um, and as you say in the book, um, technocrat, and I'm quoting here, technocrat is used in this book to indicate a combination of technological specialization and managerial responsibility, as well as acknowledging the difference between Bannerman elites in this position and Chinese bureaucrats of Han ethnicity. Um, So there's a lot here and a lot that's very specific to the Qing about this. Um, But could you, you know, for listeners who might not be familiar with, with the term, could you unpack this a little bit? What is a technocrat and what makes them so special
1: yes yes of course yes i use this term based on its more like etymological sense so the combination of techno and uh management so the kind of um governmental officials who uh, had, um who is equipped equipped with specialized uh, knowledge and skill in technology and they was in charge of uh administrative uh, work um, and uh, not using this term to refer to um like early 20th century um, engineers or Russian or your soviet and can although i think in the long run actually you know this term can put uh, this project in conversation with a more modern uh, god right we call them those people who combine technical specialized knowledge and uh, administrative and political power and uh, but when I start started I just naively use this term uh, for its um, yeah an etymological sense and and I find that um, this um, term allows me to pay particular attention to the kind of special skill sets that these um, um, like ethnically marked officials uh, had. And especially in contrast uh, to the Han uh, literati scholar officials who Passed the civil service examination and recruited uh, for the government. But these technocrats and them, um, usually they are bannermen, basically, basically, they are bannermen. Not all of them they are bound servants and uh, the boy, but a lot of them they are. And uh, a lot of them they were uh, employed in very Manchu and uh, uh, Qing. Uh, Bureaus or institutes like the Imperial Household Department, like the Li Fan Yuan, and uh, um, that kind of exclude uh, um, Han ethnic Han Chinese uh, uh, as employee, as employees, and so I kind of I kind of focus on the Imperial Household Department, and uh, these uh, technocrats are quite special in terms of their um, ethnical background. They were registered as Bannerman, right, in the genealogy. Although you know ethnicity is a complex issue, but uh, they are recorded in the genealogy as as, as Bannerman. That's yeah. Um, the, also the education, uh, the early training are special and different. Usually, it's more hands on than the traditional you know uh, 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 uh philological and text based training focusing on writing and uh, and uh, and the interpretation of confucian classics but these people very often had a martial background started as you know bodyguards and uh and uh and uh, uh yeah uh military officers and uh, and uh, and then they have a uh, a different distinct career pattern um, like taking positions which were uh, reserved very often for Bannermans and uh, not for Chinese. So they have a special institutional background which entailed a, a special kind of training and uh, that also requires a special kind of work from them is again more um, pragmatic practical hands-on and uh, these people was uh, positioned in manufactories of porcelain uh, textile mining right and the various kinds of uh, 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 factories um, where the regional natural resource was was mobilized to 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 build and uh, things so Yeah, of course they are mostly literate, but uh, their kind of literacy is slightly different from uh, traditional Chinese elite. They have a more like uh, um, embodied kind of um, skill. And they um, seems to be often uh, employed to deal with um, non-Han Chinese groups, uh, Europeans missionaries. And uh, um, but also Mongolian, Tibetan uh, delegates, and uh, so yeah, just just in the sense that they they kind of shows us a, 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 a um alternative landscape of knowledge production and. Uh, um, to some extent.
0: yeah, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as you were speaking there about, you know, knowledge <laughs> of knowledge production and a different landscape, I think that really comes through most clearly in the book when you're talking about the technocratic approach that these technocrats use. Um, and you've mentioned some of it, you know, some of the qualities of this approach already, you know, very hands-on, practical. Um, and we see this in a few different ways in the book. We see you showing, you know, um, Tang Ying's uh, archivist disposition, where we see him, you know, compiling what seemed to be vast amounts of paperwork. <laughs> about funding and materials and production methods and, you know, things like that. You talk about and you look in in the book at his, you know, quasi-ethnographic methods and, you know, that looks like direct observation and descriptions of regional local people. Um, There's so much in your book that is really about knowledge-making and knowledge-gathering. And, of course, then the question comes in, how does that relate to the Qing Empire (laughs) and running the Qing Empire? So I'm wondering if you could speak directly to that connection where, you know, how or is Tang Ying contributing to empire building and running the empire? And if so, you know, how?
1: Mm, Yes. Um, Yeah, I really um, talked a lot about knowledge making and the knowledge gathering because it seems to me that the Qin empire is... uh, um, because it annexed uh, new territories and the rule, ruled a, a heterogeneous population that is not uh, Manchu, so the Qing uh, regime is um, very interested in gathering intelligence and uh, um, uh, putting the regional uh, knowledges in order, and um, and uh, and uh, and, uh, and uh, basically. Uh, uh, an empire that is very knowledge driven or intelligence driven and especially um it is um, late and uh, and then there are a huge amount of accumulated information and knowledge before it and uh, you know as a newcomer uh, into this facing this daunting amount of uh, uh, cultural heritage but also uh, facing uh, Kind of uh, uh, new information that uh, uh, exposure to Europe and uh, you know South uh, Southern Asia and other parts of the world that provided. So I I, I think the production and the organization of uh, knowledge was very uh, uh, important for the Qing uh, rulership and uh, and uh, the, the 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 all kinds of large scale. Imperial projects also shows that you know several generations of uh, emperors, um, as institutions, not as not only as individual, but as institutions, are very keen uh, in gathering and uh, and ordering uh, information and knowledge, and because this is the way uh, with which they can uh, master them material providing the resources of various regions uh, uh, that under the governance of the Qing empire and that's also the uh, uh, way in which they can mobilize uh, various kinds of regional skills to 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 yeah to strengthen the empire so in the case of Tang Ying Although, although he was producing you know some aesthetic <laughs> products but the the the, the process and uh, the procedures the mechanisms uh with which he is working and he is producing and uh, i think represents very well the the logistic exercise and of the uh the apparatus, the apparatus, and um, of of, uh, of of um the court, and uh, and uh, um in that sense we can see uh that the Ying's um, supervision of ceramic ceramic production shows us how the regional resource was extracted, how the technological knowledge was codified that how it was written down and transferred right from the region to the court uh, within a certain kind of rhetorical frame and how um, the imperial regulation was applied and first disseminated to the local society and then applied in concrete production and uh, uh, how the, the the emperors or prince was in, in was able to impose their regulation through these technocrats, and uh, and uh, ultimately, a ceramic project like other decorative project is contributing to an imperial image. So um, the um, which I think is still a crucial part of uh, 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 empire building that. The, uh, the 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 Central Powers was, uh, um, in engaged in a kind of performance. That not saying that it's a false performance, but it's 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 like manifesting, um, and convincing themselves, but also their ruled subjects that they are universal, uh, 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 rulers and can, uh, engage, uh, conversation. Can claim legitimacy uh, to various uh, uh, populations, uh, kinds of population that that they
0: are, ru- they are, they are ruling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think that's it's a great you know point that you made there about you know uh, the porcelain deer specifically <laughs> were not tools of empire, or you know the porcelain the what was the other one the porcelain uh, seashells were not specifically <laughs> you know military um, um, tools but the knowledge to you know to produce them the fact that they exist represents the result the end result of this knowledge gathering um it represents the result of you know um the extraction of 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 materials and goods, and the existence of these objects represents that that universal rule, right? So even though the porcelain deer did not <laughs> were not used as tools of conquest, they very much represent the end of of you know of it, and and you know symbols of of the knowledge gathering that's happening all across of um, the empire. Yes, um, itself.
1: Indeed, and uh, sorry if I interrupt. No. And then uh, indeed, the porcelain shell indeed and uh, in that case it's it's also a very interesting interesting subject that um shows off technical prowess right they can use a um, media to imitate uh, 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 another media and just uh, uh, trick your eyes and uh, and uh, and this is uh what general several generations of emperor was very interested in they they make fake rubies and because they can. <laughs> and, you know, they have the te- technique. And uh, it's just a squander of uh, uh, consp- conspicuous use of skill and the materials to show that we can. And um, if we can do this, maybe we can also make very powerful cannons and, uh, and military weapons and so on and so forth. And also, this is also an engagement uh, with the European uh, 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 uh forms and artifacts and the seashell and it really reminds us those casting from life right uh, from um, Central Europe and there might be some connections and uh, and uh, the interest in the natural history and the natural learning and there's also a uh, very much uh, part of that kind of effort yeah.
0: mm-hmm. and I should note you know if any listeners are wondering why we keep on talking about this, what sounds like a hypothetical shell. No, no, it's real. Um, there's a beautiful picture of it um, in your book. Um, so this, this is a, you know, very, um, concrete, um, beautiful, I might add, um, stunning, um, uh, porcelain shell that definitely, you know, tells us a lot. Um, but you know with some of that you know the framing and you know big big questions um, that we've sort of been talking about and with that sort of you know not out of the way but you know um, we can park that for a moment. Why don't we dive into some of the chapters of your book um, so, chapter one, Bannerman Technocrats in the Mid-Qing, um, introduces the category of technocrats, and it looks at um, Tang Ying's family history. And I think you a lot of what you show in this chapter really resonates with the description of technocrats that you were you know, talking about a little bit earlier in our conversation. So you show here how his family really gained practical skills, how Tang Ying first served in, as the emperor's bodyguard, and then began training as a pattern painter, um, in, in the Imperial workshop. So very hands-on. Um, but what really struck me about this chapter is how he sits at this intersection of many different kinds of people. Um, so you have the Marshall Bannerman, the technocratic network, the literati, the merchants, and it seems as you've, you know, touched on a few times in our, in our conversation now, it seems that he might've also had some exposure to Western knowledge. Um, But in all of this, um, what I really would love to know more about, actually, is his cultural literacy. (laughs) So you've mentioned already that he wrote plays and poetry, um, even though, you know, his own, you know, cultural literacy might not have been on the same level. And he didn't really have the same training as, you know, a Chinese scholar official. Um, but could you talk a little bit about his, you know, literary <laughs> output? Uh, what, why is he doing this kind of work?
1: Uh, yes, of course. Yes, and yes, uh, by cultural literacy, I mean, um, yes, the level or the kind um, of mastery of language or the, 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 the skill in using um, so uh, not only the language, but also the register of uh, 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 the language and uh, the, the rhetorical uh, devices and uh, um, genres, lit- literary and the non-literary genres that um, a, a technocrat was able to uh, use uh, in their work. So literacy first is uh, about language. So yeah, he... He knows language. Uh, he knows Manchu. So I include uh, uh, a short uh, note note right um, of uh, Manchu notes. I think there are some new numbers, Manchu numbers related to textile text collection related That's some this comes from some uh, miscellaneous notes that he left in his corpus, which is also uh, lucky. Uh, uh, discovery because they have all kinds of strange <laughs> and and uh, bits and uh, and of of information there. So we know he has, uh, uh, yeah, knowledge in Manchu. But by cultural literacy means not only the you know basic uh, linguistic knowledge of language, but also the uh, conventions of the language, the genres, and uh, the 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 fields of vocabularies. Um, one thing I want to highlight is, for example, the literature and the Yin would avoid certain genres to certain topics in poetry, uh, like the poetry of immortals, like traveling immortals, or Boudoir lament. And uh, this is... Uh, and obvious, and that you know, uh, Han ethnic uh, Han Chinese literati uh, wrote a lot. So there was some deliberate choice uh, in engaging with particular cultural uh, conventions, cultural genres uh, in creating literary work and uh, other kinds of uh, topics, and uh, but also forms. That um, they choose to engage or not to engage with, the other another kind of cultural literacy is the mastery of Confucian classics. To in some extent, yeah, Tang like like um, other peer uh, Bannermans, they also are uh, very well read uh, in Confucian classic, but seems they are not less interested in. Um, using the Confucian doctrine doc, doctrine to um, establish their own moral authorities, on which you know they can, with which they can negotiate uh, with the monarch, <laughs> because they, they like uh, fight for the kind kind of legitimacy or um, yeah moral superior, superiority. The technocrats was not uh, mostly utilizing. Confucian uh, learnings in that way. So in that sense, they, are, they engage in uh, the Confucian classics in a uh, rather different uh, way. So this is something I would, uh, uh, yeah, under, underline. Um, and a lot of cultural literacy um, comes from, resulted from uh, the administrative duty and especially in archival work. So you know, in 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 order to churn out you know that um, amount of paper trails, and uh, you 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 must follow um, the the formulas and uh, adapt those formulaic languages, and, uh, and which um, can become very technical. If we ever uh, if we ever try to read a a memorial, and uh, you know you really need to. Uh, have uh, to understand the structure to parse and uh, the, the registers of language how to address and the peers and superiors and uh, subordinates and uh, um, yet yeah, another aspects at the specific technological fields that he is uh, 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 involved with so that gives him uh, uh, special uh, vocabularies and uh, experience, and of both materials and uh, the, the 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 local society, because they, he was uh, working on porcelain, and it's very region specific. So, and he wrote a lot about uh, the region and uh, the landscape and the people, and uh, but it's interesting that he separate uh uh the this writing he he he, he does not mention uh, his uh, ceramic work in his literary uh, uh writing like in his poetry or drama i i from from early on originally i was expecting to find you know and uh, some connection between his uh, uh theatrical work and his porcelain design right in the in the play, and he refers to seldom, almost never. But there's one, yes, there's one auto-fictional, autobiographical kind of reference in one play. But uh, very, very. So the kind of um, segregated uh, uh, mentality uh, when he uh, produced these uh, works.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the one poem that's coming to my mind, and I wish I really need to go back and double check. I seem to recall a poem that he wrote. Um, it's in your book. I should note uh, a poem that he wrote to one of his subordinates about going on a you know on a on a trip to to check the a particular technological. <laughs> something there's some there's a particular poem about you know as you go on this journey you know be sure to to ask all the old folks and check all the documents so there's very specific poems about you know um the equivalent would sort of be a poem on the you know on the eve of your journey to <laughs> To, the, to To wherever you are going to check the porcelain manufacturing quali- you know uh, conditions in the region um, so there are there are as you were talking about, you know the types of poems he's writing are very different. they're not boudoir poems. they are a little bit more um dare I say specific, um but they're very much informed by by um the the practical and the hands on as you were as you were talking about.
1: Right, right, exactly. Thank you for 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 the reminder. Yes, as I was talking about segregated topics, but actually, you know, now and then you f- see those features, right? This um trace of his administrative work and hands-on work in the imperial commissions, and he talked about, uh, yeah, he was um um inviting one or uh, dispatching one of his associates to investigate, uh, uh the production of the jing glaze a uh, kind of thick uh, uh, glaze um, and, uh, and very popular uh, in, in in henan and, and area and uh, um, which is uh, uh, quite a rich the kind of glaze and i was trying to re uh, reverse engineer that the kind of ceramic techniques to reproduce the effect it's almost like a kind of archaeological work, proto, I call that, proto archaeological survey, and then he's just dispatching his associates um, to to do that, and then comparing that kind of work to uh, the writing of uh, Shiji, the the grand scriber's work. So it's yeah, it's, it's it shows us the kind of very. Um, practical, pragmatic, empirical, a little bit, yeah, empirical, you know, interest in investigating uh, facts and gathering information and obviously ethnographic uh, approach because ethnic Han Chinese also wrote about, but uh, not um, always this kind of, almost like a, we, I call them journal, a work journal-like uh, uh, poems. And a lot of his poems, they are dated and uh, so just really like work journals
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but as you were you know um mentioning before that you know, it, it takes quite a bit of skill to, you know, be able to write and read a memorial and whatnot. I mean, I think anyone who's ever dealt with paperwork knows that that's a skill. <laughs> it is a skill to to fill out a form correctly <laughs> and to know what you're being asked to do. Um, so it's absolutely, you know, in this this is where he really shines, right? In terms of what he is um, aware of and where his uh, his cultural literacy lies. It lies in that. Um, realm but it's just fascinating um with that thinking of forms um i want to move us to chapter two uh, which is where you the chapter two is titled a new knowledge culture in the imperial workshops Um, and here you're really focusing on porcelain Um, and one of the things that you talk about and you look at in this chapter is the prototype system um, which was used in ceramic production. I um, mean this was not something that and I will admit I'm not overly well versed in porcelain but uh, this was not something I'd really heard of or come across before. So I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit of what the prototype system was um, and how Tongying, you know used it and was in charge of it and how you know, where does how does porcelain fit into into this system?
1: Yes. So, uh, yes. Actually, it's re- yeah, re- related. to the kind of, uh, huge paper trail yeah. or the skill which <laughs> you're talking about. Because I a mean, large, arch- yeah, a large chunk of the paper trails and uh, um, archival work, is related to this proto-type uh, system or the Yang system. It's like a, a, system of both record and uh, prescription, and uh, uh, basically. Uh, not only in porcelain, but in all kinds of material and artifactual production, uh, the Qing and the, from the Kangxi ring, uh, we have all, all already records um, and of the using of uh, the prototype uh, system. And uh, the earliest instance, I, I think is uh, from a Manchu um, archival document. It is a production of a, a, a mat, and the straw mat. And uh, uh, so uh, the, the the straw mat is supposed to be produced according certain a t- uh, 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 certain um, uh, kind of regulated forms. Uh, and uh, and then this regulated form is called uh, the yang. So basically, originally, that yang means an, a sample um, or a prototype or an, an example or a copy and the original thing that you can you can model on so it's it's like a design a draft usually the process uh, the procedure f- uh, um, for producing artifact and uh, started with uh, um, design and uh so certain unix or run and uh, around runners will carry out uh, samples from the, uh, the the imperial vaults often from the Imperial Household Department, and, uh, and they will um, order uh, some design drafts or prototype to be made uh, copying um, these uh, samples, and they are called the yang. Uh, sometimes not just uh, um, um, direct copy, you can extract certain parts, the form of one vessel, the color of another one, and the the, 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 the painting, of the third one, and then you combine them together and to make a, a, a design. Yeah, it's really mm, like, it's like a design drafts. And also what interesting is they come in uh, multiple media and it could be uh, a two-dimensional, you know, polychrome uh, uh, draft, but it could be also a, a, a wooden a three-dimensional uh, model. And then it could be a, uh, um, a stack of papers like Babi Babbi and, and uh, you know very it's, you can you can use various media to uh to make this design. And uh the crucial part of this um, process the system is what we call the uh, revise and resubmit. <laughs> <So> we, <laughs> we are very familiar with <laughs> you will you will submit this model. Um, to a prince and, uh, or the emperor. And then, you know, they will look at, they will inspect it and then tell you uh, whether they are satisfied uh, with that or not. And uh, usually uh, Qianlong will mm, have some second opinion. And, you know, and uh, the dragon should not be on the belly or some, somehow the head is too big or so on and so forth. And then we'll, you know, send it back and then make it again. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, usually after a few rounds not too many and uh, they will approve uh the, the the design and then will uh dispatch it to the local factory for production and this is how the uh, prototype and uh, the prototype system works and what i want to emphasize is it's not only a system for producing uh uh, uh um like tablewares so or everyday everything cannons and uh bridge and uh, uh city walls and then all anything all kinds of things yeah as, as large as uh city walls and as small architecture as small as a back scratcher <laughs> you can have a prototype yeah
0: i love that the Tianlong emperor was the original reviewer too that makes me very happy um, <laughs> 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 makes me very happy indeed um <laughs> But not as happy, and you will admire my segue here. Not as happy as Tung Ying's Illustrated Manual of Ceramic Production. Um, and I say happy because so this is moving us to Chapter Three, uh, which contains um, pictures of this manual. So it's a really beautiful book. I will say, it consists of twenty leaves of paintings and sections of uh, twenty sections of calligraphy, um, and this this manual goes through the entire sort of steps and process of ceramic production. Um, And again, I will say it, it is very beautiful. So I really would encourage listeners to seek out your book, to have a look at it for themselves, because I'm not sure we're going to be able to do justice to it by just describing what it looks like. That's always difficult in an audio medium, Um, but um, it's a really interesting Manual. At least I thought so, uh, but in the broadest, you know, I'm leaving this question fully open to you, is there anything about this illustrated manual that you particularly want to emphasize um, to listeners?
1: Yes, yes, yes. This is indeed an extraordinary uh, document and evidence, and uh, um, the textual part actually uh, was very uh, well, widely circulated. Uh, 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 since late 18th century into until, until 20th century, Stephen Boucher translated into English, and there's French, German, uh, Japanese translation of this. Um, but the pictorial part was lost, and it only resurfaced, I think, in 19 late uh, 19, late 1990s, and uh, now, of course, in a private collection, but uh, a very well studied. Um, by experts from Palace Museum and National Palace Museum. And uh, mm, what makes it very important is it really shows us how uh, um, the text and uh, uh, pictures contributed to the knowledge, uh, the, the codification of embodied knowledge in this case, it's a ceramic uh, production. So the emperor was very curious to understand uh, some basic um, facts, materiality, procedures in uh, the nuts and bolts of uh, technological production. And uh, uh, we call it the illustration um, too, kind of a manual. But actually, the relation is reversed. Um First, we have the picture, and uh, the Tang Ying, the supervisor, was um, asked, was invited by the emperor to, uh, to 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 compose the treatise based on, uh, his uh, scrutiny of the images and, you know, check cross checking with his embodied experience in manufacture. So it is not, in, you know, exactly an illustration, but uh, not the text, not not the picture explaining the text, but actually it's the um, and text expounding uh, the representation of technological uh, process of production. And uh, uh, what I want to highlight is the kind of rhetorical side of, uh, of this sort of manual. And we know that uh, uh, technological manuals can seldom do justice to the complex details of technological production. But what information you select to highlight, what you select to drop, uh, reveals the kind of very often political agenda and what you really want to do with uh, this sort of uh, uh, conversion um, of knowledge, like uh, codifying. Embodied knowledge into picture and uh, texts and uh, how the text and the image uh, Interact in responding in representing the the embodied skill is really interesting uh, in this treatises and then uh, Yes, sometimes the text will directly refer to uh, uh, the lacuna in the in the in the picture, that something is not represented, it's not depicted, because Tang Ying knows the procedure and he will point that to you. And sometimes, the description or the the, the entry the treatise will follow a certain order, uh, uh, and so that uh, when you look at the, uh, the 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 picture, you follow a certain uh, uh, direction uh, in 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 using this uh, manual. But uh, obviously, you cannot reproduce uh, ceramics by looking at this manual. It has a different kind of agenda. So yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's a very it's a very cool manual. I will say, as, Again, as a visual object, but also the reading that you provide in the chapter of it, um, and your analysis of the the text, but also your sort of comparison with other similar um, texts like it's a very very cool chapter. Um, but I do want to make sure we have a little bit of time to talk about chapter four, which is the last body chapter in your book. Um, in this chapter, Innovations and Experiments in Porcelain Manufacture, um, looks at some of what we've talked about talked about already, actually. It looks at how technocrats intervened in industrial uh, production, which was, of course, ordered by the imperial center, the court, and how it both, you know, used and extracted local knowledge in the process. Um, So you focus in particular here on the experimentation of painted enamel and the development of local enamel pigment at court, Um, And you look at some of Tang Ying's other experiments as well, in particular, my favorite, the painted porcelain shells, (laughs) porcelain deer. Um, So there's a lot going on here, but I'm wondering if you can sort of speak to the significance of this chapter again. Um, What do we learn about the Qing court and the place of technocrats within it by looking at these experiments and innovations?
1: Right. Yes. I think the significance of this chapter, you know, by looking at the experiments or so-called innovations, a lot mm. of, you know, the current discussion on the innovation with a big eye or small eye. Mm. And uh, this chapter really shows us how the Qing court, like, stimulated or, 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 or spurred or entailed uh, the novel... Engagement with materials and regional resources, and uh, but also regulated and constrained, and uh, so by um, deploying these uh, uh, technocrats. So, so both sides, um, the experiments that they carried out really uh, explored a potential of uh, local minerals, like in my case, the clay, the pigments. In order to fulfill, the, uh, sometimes difficult demand uh, of the of the court, because the court they were expects, exposed to very interesting brand new forms, you know, brought uh, from Europe, so, like uh, the painted enamels. They want to make that kind of uh, 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 pattern and the forms. Sometimes, in order to achieve a particular aesthetic. Uh, or artistic forms you need to have technical innovation and uh, and and experiments and uh, um, this is an interesting you know intersection between an um, art and uh, uh, technology you need to uh, experiment with new pigments and uh, make indigenous pigments uh, once once the imported ones they are exhausted and then you're not not so much left, but also to show off the technical prowess and the kind of emulative uh, intention going on that because you know we can we are uh, we are a, 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 a technological uh, powerful regime that can rival uh, uh, this, we can make enamel. Uh, in, in uh, and another side, uh, another another significance for uh, looking at the experience and uh, uh, how actual porcelain was made is to really see the attempt to systemize uh, the work that the, 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 the Qing court was trying to do it uh, through uh, the work of technocrats. And they were mediating between the regional factories and the the, and the court, and deploying the paper trail and uh, and of it's not only paper trail, right? It is multimedia uh, trail of work documenting documenting while designing and projecting and planning, and so this level of uh, systemization is uh, yeah quite. Uh, impressive and uh, although you know there's always difficulty and uh, as you meet its failures and a lot of moving parts and uh, and the expiration date of you know certain objects and the defect products and the accidents in productions but all all of this shows us the attempt to to put everything in, in order and uh, and uh, use various sorts of uh, devices like uh, the classic of ten thousand characters was used systematically for uh, keep recording to you know uh, counting these objects, counting uh, the experiments, you know sometimes of yeah uh, that. So I think this uh, chapter shows us uh, how the products was actually uh, made, and uh, yeah, regarding the deer and the shell, and uh, it really shows us their um, attempt to engage. Uh, 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 unprecedented forms. And the deer is hard to produce because it may crack very easily because of this topological, you know, form. It really reminds me, actually, um, the German Meissen porcelain, right? The sculptor uh, Kandler was very famous for making those large, huge animal figures, like eagles and deers, and um, they are very Hard to make because the porcelain uh, shrink; they change their forms when you fire them, and then so and then it's easy to uh, 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 just ruin a piece. So this 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 uh, uh, part shows us the experiments with the materials, and uh, yeah, the control. The in a sense that the the court or the imperial regime was trying to control the nature. Uh, not only the population, but uh, the nature and through the hands of uh, technocrats. And of course, you know, the craftsmen who are uh, actually
0: working on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tang Ying is very busy in this chapter, I will say. he's He's got a lot going on. <laughs> he's trying to manage um, quite a lot. Uh, but you were talking about technology Um in, in, you know, thinking of the significance of this chapter, um, and I, you know, completely um, agree with everything you were saying about, you know, what this chapter shows us, um, it shows us quite a great deal. But in particular, I want to return to the technology. Um, Because in your conclusion, you sort of return to this and you really speak to the importance of studying technology. Um, So I wonder if we might, you know, conclude here with this as well. Um, Do you have any, you know, last words as you like for the podcast, at least about why the study of technology in particular is so important?
1: Right. And um, I think um, it's very important, especially for us to understand the transition from the late empires to the modern world. Well, modern world for us, uh, obviously, I'm trying, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of retrospectively project, you know, this interest in technology to the early modern world. But I do think that, you know, different from the technique, the technology, the logos re- refers to a kind of effort in sit- systemization and uh, abstraction and uh, and extracting the form the design patterns from actual work and uh, and uh, and transpose it to another medium and and and, uh, and that and uh, exercising control uh, systematic control over the process and so i think the study of technology imperial technology allows uh allows me to see how you know particular political institutions attempt to control natural resource through uh the specialized agents uh in this case and uh, sometimes this uh this sort of control shows themselves in aesthetic forms aesthetic forms and then shows us you know the 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 operation of and of power so brief, you know, in in short, you know, study of this technology um, that has to see how the institution, natural resource and specialized agents and aesthetic forms converge in the process of production. And what makes this more exciting is how local it is. It is very local and based in one particular region where uh, minerals is is a deposit of mineral is rich, but also, and it's, it's in exchange. The production shows the exchange with uh, 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 agents from other parts of the world, from Europe, and uh, so the exchanges across empires. So that makes the study of uh, technology uh, in in the empire quite interesting. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, With that, though, we have come to the end of your book, (laughs) and by extension, the end of our conversation about it. Uh, But now that you have finished with this book, um, Kaijun, what are you working on now? What is inspiring you at the moment?
1: Right now, I'm kind of working on a spin-off that I cannot uh, entirely, you know, wrap rap and uh, contain in this book is trying to work on a paper investigating the cultural production of a fraction of bannerman officials uh, obviously uh, technocrats but uh, um, some other uh, figures and then and trying to explain how uh, they play the pivotal role in transforming the landscape and i'm looking at uh, some uh uh uh, chorotype, a uh, reproduction of battle paintings, uh, in the collection uh, of Brown University, and uh, they are very uh, they're late nineteenth uh, century uh, battle paintings, and uh, trying to uh, um, again, you know, explore the uh, archivist and uh, um, specific ep- epistemological uh, approach in documenting uh, uh, military operation uh, uh, in these uh, resources and um, trying to put uh, that kind of uh, representational work uh, in juxtaposition with uh, other travel writing um, uh, uh, done by uh, uh, Bannerman and military officials and uh, trying to study uh, the technocratic way of making uh, knowledge yeah and then um, particularly you know inspiring uh, at the moment here i'm just reading uh, Ruth rogaskis uh, book uh, knowing manchuria which is directly related to you know producing knowledge of specific uh, location um that localized knowledge making right and then how uh, the Embodied sensory experience was convert uh, was was converted into writing and, uh, and in my case and uh, you know uh, pictorial uh, uh, media and uh, what she uh, mentions like the regime of attention and it's very uh, uh, useful conceptualization for me is like it is uh, um, uh, regimes through which you. Select information on experience and convert it into uh, different medias. And then, so yeah, for the moment, I'm trying to <laughs> and uh, put uh, various pieces together uh, into this article.
0: Fabulous. Well, that sounds like a great project to be getting on with and that also sounds like great reading um, <laughs> to be engaged with um, so my very best you know best wishes for both of that the reading and the writing um, and thank you so much again for taking the time to talk with me about this book <laughs> that you wrote and then i had the pleasure of reading
1: yeah thank you again yeah for the great questions and the engagement yeah oh,
0: of course